Are you ready? Yeah. We're beginning a new series called The Cast of Christmas. And let me give you a PSA, public service announcement. You have 24 days of shopping from now till Christmas. Now, don't worry, because we can shop anytime, day and night, and just wait for the packages to arrive in the mail. According to the Washington Post, UPS will ship somewhere around 750 million packages this holiday season. They'll do the work, and all you have to do is click and wait. <laughs> now, if you have friends or family who enjoy waiting for packages, if you're watching by live stream, I'm pointing at me. <laughs> there are some new exciting gift options you might try through Gift of the Month Clubs. For about $50 per month, you can sign your loved one up for the Bacon of the Month Club, where he or she will receive two one-pound selections of artisan bacon every month. Did you know that there's also a Pickle of the Month Club and even a PB&J of the Month Club? Just think of all the expectation you can give for Christmas as your parents or children check every day to see if their gourmet peanut butter and jelly arrives in the mail. A number of years ago, CNN told the story of Charles McKinley's attempt at another approach to surprise and expectation by mail, which I wouldn't recommend. When he shipped himself in a crate, from his home in New York to his parents' home in Dallas. Somehow, he actually made it home. But the final delivery man saw Mr. McKinley through a crack in the crate and called the police. Unfortunately, he was arrested for an unrelated and outstanding warrant. Now, Christmas is certainly a time of waiting. An expectation. You can feel the expectation build as children go, grow more and more antsy in their classes at school as they wait for the big day to arrive. As we prepare and wait, it occurs to me that the vast majority of our lives is filled with waiting and preparation, while only a fraction is filled with the actual experience or celebration, or doing stuff. Consider the Thanksgiving meal many of us recently enjoyed. How long did it take to prepare it? How long did it take to eat it? See the contrast? If you have any relatives that are like the incredible Mr. Fox, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Now, so often, when we think we're finally doing stuff, we're actually just waiting and preparing for stuff in a new location. 
take camping. It feels like you're doing something. Actually, you're just waiting and preparing outdoors. You prepare the fire. You prepare the tents for sleeping. You prepare the meals for cooking. If we stop to think about it, we really shouldn't be surprised that life is filled with so much more preparation and waiting than doing. Because in some ways, preparation is the doing. In fact, preparation is often the point. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that our short time on earth is more about preparation for eternity in heaven than what we accomplish or do on this earth. In fact, the best use of our time on earth is to prepare our hearts to become more like Jesus and to help other people get prepared to meet Jesus in heaven. The primary point of the Old Testament is preparation for one moment. What some call the proto-evangelium near the very beginning of creation points to this fact. Protos is the Greek word for first and evangelion means good news or gospel. So the proto-evangelium is what most followers believe to be the first declaration of the gospel. It takes place directly after Adam and Eve fell into sin. God declared to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Look what it says in Genesis 3 verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. That's in Genesis 3 and 15. We see here that God, immediately after Adam and Eve fell into sin, He set in motion the process for salvation, for the rescue of humanity, for the deliverance from sin's effect and working in our lives. The work the serpent began that was expressed through Adam and Eve's conscious conscious choice to sin would one day be crushed through the arrival of her offspring. That offspring, of course, is the one whom Christmas points to and celebrates. From the moment the first sin onward, the entire Old Testament prepares and points us to the great moment when our Savior and Messiah came to save us from the curse of sin. The law and all the temple sacrifices show our need for a Savior. The slavery and sorrow of the Israelites point to the bondage we all face before we acknowledge His arrival. The prophets looked and longed for His coming. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah was inspired by God to look forward to His birth. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he wrote the following. Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaprathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, watch this, 
out of you will come for me. The one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In reflecting on Handel's Messiah, Joseph E. McCabe wrote the following. Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far it is to God. A being outside our world would be a spectator looking on but taking no part in this life where we try to be brave despite all the bafflement. A God who created and withdrew could be mighty, but he could not be loved. He continues, who could love a God remote when suffering is our lot? Our God is closer than our problems, for they are out there to be faced. He is here beside us. Emmanuel. And in case you didn't know, Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Whatever you're facing right now, you don't have to think as others have thought that God in creation was simply some kind of divine watchmaker who created the world, wound it up, and then left it to run by itself. That is not God. In fact, the psalmist wanted to make it clear that our Creator God is personal and active, not only in fashioning and forming us, but even in every day of our lives. He has written them beforehand, and He is committed, if we allow Him to, to be with us every day, in every season, in every chapter of our lives. He wants to be Emmanuel. God with us and the one from ancient times who Micah wrote about has more than 100 different names in the Bible. He's called the Alpha and the Omega, the Word of Life, the bright morning star, the light of the world. I am the Ancient of Days, Jesus. His name again, Emmanuel, means God with us. And when Jesus arrived, He came humbly quietly in a small and forgotten town that didn't even have a proper room for his arrival. But let's not allow the circumstances he chose to fulfill his prophecies confuse what child this is. He is the ancient one, the creator, the author and giver of life, the word of God. For hundreds of years, the Israelites and the prophets looked to him and waited for his rescue. When we talk about Advent, what is Advent? It means the coming of an important person or a notable event. Advent is the perfect time for us to wait and prepare. As the prophets waited for Jesus' arrival, we wait and prepare for his second coming. In some ways, we know what Micah, Isaiah, Moses, and so many who looked for Jesus went through. Like them, we know that Jesus is coming again. But 
we don't know when. Like them, we need to prepare our hearts to receive and grow in Him as we anticipate the day when we will meet Him face to face. While He may indeed tarry longer, you can be certain that we all are in our own last days. What do you mean, Pastor? We will soon witness His arrival or we will soon meet Him at the end of our own lives. Either way, we must be prepared. And what is it about preparation that we need to be aware of? The first is that preparation begins with repentance. Preparation begins with Repentance. You might say that John the Baptist was the last prophet who had to wait for Jesus' first arrival. He shows us how to prepare our hearts for Jesus in our lives now. And how to prepare our hearts for Jesus' return. Watch this. In Matthew 3, 2, John says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In verse 8, he says, Produce fruit. In keeping with repentance. And then in verse 11, he declares, I baptize you with water for repentance. So apparently, repentance was an important theme in John's preaching. But you will discover, when Jesus arrived, he preached repentance. In the book of Acts, you read over and over again that they preached repentance. What does it mean to repent? What does the word repentance speak of? Repentance in its simplest definition means to turn. To turn. So John isn't calling out saying, you all better start feeling really guilty for all the things you've done. He's not saying, I want you to feel really bad. Understand that repentance certainly can begin with feeling really bad. But what John is saying is, change your approach. Reconsider how you think about things and begin to think and act differently. I read about a martial arts fighter. He came forward at a Billy Graham crusade and accepted Christ as Savior when he was 12 years old. But he never really committed his life to serving Christ. He went on to become the karate middleweight champion of the world for eight straight years. He appeared in karate movies. And in one movie, he fights against Bruce Lee in a death match. Years later, he starred in the hit TV series, Walker, Texas Ranger. He was successful in almost every area of his life, but he never had a relationship with God. One day, he came home from work, and he saw his wife, Gina, reading the Bible. He says to her, you're not getting religious on me, are you? She said, this is good stuff. You should read this. So he sits down on the couch and reads the Bible with her. And the Spirit of God starts working him over. The Spirit starts to say to him, you need to come back to Christ. 
You need to finish what you started when you were 12 years old. You need to make him the Lord of your life. And so Chuck Norris surrendered his life to Christ. Except this time, Norris's life was transformed. If you watch his last two seasons of Walker, Texas Ranger, you'll see a much stronger emphasis on faith in Christ. After the show ended, Norris and his wife got involved in all kinds of ministries. He's helped out with the Trinity Broadcasting Network, the Billy Graham Association, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He also began the Kickstart program, which ministers to at-risk students in junior high schools across America. In other words, Norris doesn't just mentally acknowledge Jesus Christ. His life is changed for the better because of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you repent. Again, repent means to turn to. But in order to turn to something, you got to turn away from something. So what is repentance about? I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to the Savior. I'm turning away going to hell and turning toward going to heaven. Because Jesus has made that possible. And when I repent, when I change my course of direction, it will lead to my transformation. Now, in the Christmas song, Joy to the World, we find the lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And then, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Now, let me ask you. Have you prepared Jesus' room in your heart? Have you prepared Jesus' room in your heart? Peter writes the following in 1 Peter 3 and 15. 1 Peter 3, 15 in the Passion Translation. Look at the first part. But give reverent honor in your hearts to the Anointed One and treat Him as the Holy Master of your lives. Notice here, the call is to make room for Jesus in our hearts. This is what Chuck Norris did. Have you? Have you made room for Jesus in your heart? Another thing about preparation is preparation increases with expectation. When the Chinese were getting ready to host The 2008 Olympics, they had the vision and expectation to show the entire world that they had become a world power. In 2001, the International Olympic Committee announced China would host the Games. Preparation began immediately. By 2007, China had built a new national stadium a new national swimming center, a new shooting range, a new cycling velodrome, a new national tennis center, and a new national hockey stadium. China used more than 15,000 performers for the opening ceremonies. Of those performers, 2,200 
had a small part in demonstrating martial arts. That group lived and prepared together in an army camp for three solid months. And they practiced for 16 hours every day. Many of the performers were given diapers to wear during rehearsals so they didn't have to take breaks. One rehearsal lasted 51 hours straight during a rainstorm. Now, there is much to be said about China's human rights record. But I have to admit that they delivered the opening ceremony. They delivered it with great success. They had huge expectations. They made tremendous preparations. And they delivered amazing results. I want to ask you, have you ever considered how you would prepare for work or school if you expected Jesus to be sitting there when you arrived? How would you prepare for church if you knew that God Almighty was going to show up and meet you when you got here? How would you spend your time getting ready in the morning if you knew the Holy Spirit was just waiting to tell you something amazing as soon as you were ready to listen. If you knew you were living in the last days, would you do things differently? If you had such expectations, surely it would affect our preparation for each season and for each day. Let me fill you in on something. Actually, Jesus will indeed be at work and school when you arrive. God is always ready to meet you and reach out to you if you are willing to meet with Him. God's Word is alive and active. And God is willing to speak to you. If you're willing to read and listen. We can be certain that all of us. All of us are in our own individual last days. Regardless of how long it takes for Jesus to return. And perhaps knowing that Emmanuel is here with us now, was here with us yesterday, and will be with us, or be here with us tomorrow, should change the way we prepare for Christmas, work, school, church, and even tomorrow morning. Preparation will lead to increase in expectation, and preparation brings fruit. There is one test that demonstrates whether or not you or another person has repented, your behavior will change. If a person commits a sin against you, apologizes, and does the same thing again, has she really repented? We're not talking about forgiveness here. Forgiveness is found in the strength of the cross. 
Not the strength of our apologies or will. We are talking about repentance. Now, I'm sure your friend who apologized felt truly sorry. I believe that she intended not to continue in that sin. However, the fruit of her life shows whether or not she has a change of heart. In the same way, the fruit of our lives shows our preparation through repentance. Sometimes the change is incremental. but And it takes time until it's complete. But, listen, if you aren't willing... To walk away from the sin, you haven't repented of the sin. I think the difference between feeling sorry and repenting is found in understanding how ugly and damaging the sin really is. We're sorry, but the need the sin meets, the draw the sin has for our life or the habit we've built is stronger than our repulsion to the sin. That's why people often have to hit rock bottom before they can turn around. Listen, we have to see the real impact and ugliness of the sin enough for us to say, I'll do whatever it takes To never go there again. Lord, God, please help me and show me where I can go and what I can do to turn my back on it and to be free of it. Our sincerity is proven in the way we live. The help we seek. The prayers we offer. And the choices we make. Do you want to know if you're preparing for Christ's arrival? Do you want proof that you are getting ready for Advent? Just answer this question. Is my life bearing fruit? Is my life bearing fruit? That's not the test to whether or not you're saved. The test for salvation is found in Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And John 3.16 says, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, the test for a heart that is active in its preparation to meet Jesus is the test of whether or not we see evidence of fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit are you talking about, Pastor? There's all kinds of spiritual fruit. Increased service. A closer relationship with God. A greater ability to encourage or care for others. A stronger family life. Victory over sin. Greater peace. Deeper love. Think of your life. Three or four Christmases ago. Can you say that you're further along now in your walk with Christ? than you were then? If so, that's the proof. The proof is in the fruit. The fruit, the proof is in the fruit. And what happens when there's preparation? Why do we prepare? There's an expectation. Expected rescue. We prepare because we believe if we get ready, help's on the way. Expected rescue. 
the promise of Micah and all the other prophets, the promise that they clung to was that they would be rescued. It's so important that we remember our preparation is not our salvation, nor is it our rescue. Rather, our preparation is our response to what Jesus has already done for us and in us. In 2013, the movie Captain Phillips, starring Tom Hanks, was released. You likely remember that it's based on the true story of how Somali pirates commandeered a cargo ship piloted by Captain Phillips. Through a series of events, the captain convinces his captors to let his crew go while he and the pirates leave the cargo ship together on the lifeboat. The pirates then promptly make a beeline with the lifeboat for Somalia, looking to cash in on the captive captain. One of the best moments in the film, and the moment that has to be one of the best moments of the real Captain Phillips' life, is when out of the darkness, the horns of the USS Bainbridge thunder through the sea, and floodlights illuminate the ocean and the lifeboat. You can see the relief and elation wash over Captain Phillips' face. The USS Bainbridge is one of the 46 guided missile destroyers in the U.S. Navy. With massive guns and missile capabilities to destroy more than 100 targets simultaneously. When the Bainbridge comes to the rescue, you know the pirates are in trouble and that a real hope has finally arrived. And when you watch the film, you can see, find yourself thinking, I don't ever want to be on the wrong side of a fight with the U.S. Navy. One thing I hope we understand about Christmas in the midst of the, sentiment, uh, the sen- sentimentality of nativity scenes in the soft sweetness of away in the manger is that Christmas was a rescue mission. And the one who came to our rescue wasn't some outgun, outmatched, or hopeless underdog. The one who came to our rescue was Emmanuel, God with us, who has the power and authority to call down all of the angels of heaven for his purposes and desires. The ancient one humbled himself to become fully man because we were hostages being held captive by sin. Christmas was the beginning of a rescue mission that was conceived and carried out on our behalf by none other than God Himself. So this Advent, this Advent, I am not expecting and preparing to be stressed out and overwhelmed. I am not expecting things to fall apart. I am not preparing to be defeated. I am waiting expectantly for God to come through for you and for me. I am waiting expectantly for Jesus to be revealed in our lives. 
I am waiting expectantly, knowing that He is preparing me for heaven and chiseling away at the hardness of my heart. I am waiting expectantly for the plans He has for you, for me, and for this church. I am waiting expectantly for His kingdom to advance. I am waiting expectantly for the lost to be found and the blind to see. I am waiting expectantly for His love to be made known to a hurting and dying world through you, through me, and through this church. I am waiting expectantly for Jesus to return and claim His bride, Emmanuel, God with us, God has come. We have been rescued and through His rescue we have been saved and brought back home. Because the rescue is complete, our best response is to prepare in great expectation of the realization of all that Jesus has accomplished when we see Him at the second advent. So I ask you again, have you Prepared room for Emmanuel in your heart. Are you prepared and living with expectation to see him at his second advent? When Corey Ten Boom was a little girl, her father used to tuck her into bed at night. He talked and prayed with her, then laid his big hand on her little face. Later, when Corey was imprisoned in a brutal concentration camp, she would ask God to tuck her in and lay His hand on her face. That would bring me peace and I would be able to sleep, Corey wrote in her book, Each New Day. Pastor David Jeremiah writes, One of our Lord's names is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Our dads or moms may no longer be around to tuck us into bed. But our Emmanuel never leaves us. Sometimes it helps just to envision His presence in the car beside us. Sitting by us in a chair next to us at church. Or leaning over us in bed as if to tuck us in. It's not a matter of visualizing an imaginary person, but of recognizing a friend's presence. Jesus said, look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the challenge is be strong and do not fear or be dismayed for the Lord your God will be with you. Christmas is coming. And during this season, people become enslaved to stress. Or they battle with bouts of depression. They feel overwhelmed during this season. I told you earlier, Jesus came during a time that wasn't favorable. The Jewish people were under Roman rule. Some preachers have made a big thing about the fact that they don't like when 
December started this year, right after Thanksgiving, because normally it takes a week after Thanksgiving before the first Sunday of December begins. And so they're like, man, we don't like this. It's not favorable. But neither was it favorable. A favorable time when Jesus came. But something great happened in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. What Micah had prophesied 700 years earlier was being fulfilled. What Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years earlier was coming to pass. A virgin shall conceive and be with child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came in a time that was not favorable to fulfill the promises that were made of Him. And I'm saying to you in this Christmas season, you don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be captive to anxiety. Because the same Jesus that came in unfavorable circumstances to fulfill God's promises will fulfill them in your circumstances today. Emmanuel, God with us. He will be your Prince of Peace. He'll be your wonderful counselor. He'll be mighty in the midst of your battle. Father, we thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you've done. From the moment that we, humankind, felt sinned and disobeyed you you set in motion your plan for our redemption for our rescue and today you're here to fulfill what you promised Jesus would be You fulfilled to the letter, through the first coming of Jesus, what was foretold would happen. And that's why today I'm preparing for His second coming, because you're the Lord and you change not. You will do exactly what you said you and you will fulfill everything that you've written everything that you've stated everything that you've promised everything that you prophesied concerning his second coming I'm going to ask you again with your heads bowed and eyes closed have you made room for Jesus in your heart if you haven't I want to invite you today to do so. I want to invite you to make room for Jesus because I'm telling you, just like in Chuck Norris's life, that's when change happens. That's when transformation starts, starts taking place 
in our lives when we make room for Jesus in our hearts. We make room for Him to be the shot caller, the master, the leader in our lives. We repent, we turn from our sin, and we turn to Him who is a Savior. And we make room for Him to lead our lives. That's when change happens. It could be that some of you would say, Pastor Angel, I'm in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. I'm facing some challenges even during this Christmas season that potentially can overwhelm me, could drown me in fear and misery, could submerge me in a sense of hopelessness, but I don't want to be there. I don't want to be stuck there. I want what Jesus came to bring to be my reality during this Christmas season. Make room through inviting Him. I'm going to ask our prayer warriors to come forward and stand at this altar so that you know that you're not alone and that we believe in the power of prayer just like in Cutler. People came forward because they understood they didn't have to make it on their own. They're not alone in their battles. I'm saying to you, you're not alone today. God is with us. And as we shared last week, we are the family of God. We are family through Jesus. And as representatives of Jesus' family, we're here to come in agreement with you that God, through His presence, is going to embrace you, envelop you, and give you the assurance you're not going to walk through this Christmas season alone and without peace and without confidence. Emmanuel's going to be with you. If that's you, I want you to come forward right now. This altar's open right now. This is your moment to come and experience the presence and the power of God at work in your life. Some of you would say, I need to make room for Jesus. You come. Others of you, I need Jesus to make His presence real in this season, in this moment of my life. In what I'm dealing with right now, I just need to know that God is with me. You come. Join these that have come already. Come. Come. This is your moment. Thank you, Lord.